So we're going to try a little something different this time. Uh, Alan pre-recorded this podcast, and then I'm just jumping in, giving my comments here and there. So, all right, take it away. Hello, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and family. Alan here. Um, Today I'm going to review the movie Ready Player One. Um, This movie uh, came out in 2018, and I didn't really know much about this movie coming out. Um, I knew that a co-worker of my wife recommended it to me. And my brother also recommended it to me, so much so that I think he bought the book. Um, So I guess it's a pretty good story. Yeah, so actually I bought the book first and then watched the movie. And um, for what it's worth, I was actually, I was able to finish the movie, but not the book. So uh, obviously they're very different experiences. You know, comparing a book to a movie is, is usually not fair for the movie because of what you can cram into a book. But um, if you suck at books, then there you go. There's a movie for you. It looks like there's some video game connections, which I may or may not be familiar with. But um, I also saw that it was directed by Steven Spielberg. So um, I was sold once I see a Spielberg-directed movie. And um, yeah, so I checked it out. So right off the bat, it looks like it shows this first scene. Um, I guess the movie takes place in the future a little bit a little bit in the future um this maple leaf place called the stacks which looks like a combination of a bunch of mobile homes like a trailer park kind of stacked one on top of each other um but they're um so it looks kind of like how the lower class might be living sometime in the future so then there's a little monologue where the main character introduces us to um something called the oasis which is like this virtual place or this yeah this it's like a place designed by these computer programmers in this virtual reality universe and he also plays he's also part of this virtual reality community but he doesn't seem to play it in in his living room in front of everybody like everybody else um he has his own little like the back of a van like in some hidden off area somewhere so he seems to be either like a pretty serious gamer or there's something secretive about him or we don't really know yet but um yeah, I also noticed that um, in this whole movie, like, there's not a whole lot of what I would call uh, recognizable A-list actors, um, which probably pretty intentional. Um, I kind of like that about the movie because you can focus on the characters, and instead of just saying, "Oh man, that's not really how Ben Affleck usually acts," or because I feel like they made that mistake when he when Ben Affleck played Batman, you know, or everyone every once in a while, like there'll be you focus too much on the actor and not enough on the character. And in this movie, like the characters are so, um, they're they're so compelling, and I think partly because um, the actor is 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 not a very like it's not it's not a household name. Another thing throughout the movie is that uh, a lot of licensing. It seems like they got like Pizza Hut, they got RoboCop, they got Batman. Uh, I think I saw like a Chun Li avatar in there somewhere. So there's probably a whole lot of like Easter eggs and stuff to recognize and pinpoint and stuff where. Um, different audio, different members of the audience will connect with different parts of the movie because they have all these uh, different references. Uh, there's like the, the music connections. Um, some oh, there's like the an, a reference to the book War and Peace. Um, so yeah, it looks like the writers, the the creators, the producers of this movie really did their homework on what parts of pop culture and uh, like um, what kind of things people will connect to and how to integrate them and connect the dots into this kind of free-flowing film the way they so nicely did so i know that computer generated movie making is not something new uh we've been doing it for a while now 
Um, but in this case, though, I really like how the how there's two different worlds going on. There's like the virtual world, and then there's the real world. And also, I like that you're having to switch between the different characters' names, the different avatars, the different settings of most of the characters. So um, each character basically has like a human identity, and they have a virtual identity. Again, not nothing. That's not too far off from some people how they are now. Like especially gamers that I think I, that, I, that I know of. But um, I think in this case, um, as far as the movie making part, uh, I, I like how it seemed to go. It seemed to go smoothly. Like as an audience member, I didn't feel too lost to where I, I lost the premise. But um, it was confusing enough to where I, I had to pay attention and it made it so that like I guess if I was in the theater I didn't want to go get popcorn right then because I was going to miss something so they have enough detail in there to where you're like okay this may be significant later on in the future but we don't know yet so um, I like that about this movie also it makes it so that I feel like I it, you'd probably have some repeat moviegoers like some some repeat audiences that that want to watch the movie more than once so they can catch stuff they did, that they didn't catch the first time um, again, another thing that I liked about it. So somewhere in there, um, the main character, he, he, in, he, uh, introduces us to, uh, his friend, his best friend called H. And he says something like, oh, it's, it's not gonna, I haven't even met this person in real life, which is kind of foreshadowing, like, yeah, you're probably gonna meet this person in real life. Um, and the idea that, um, Later on, it's not someone. It, it it doesn't look like someone you expect it to look like. I think was not too surprising, but um, the fact that some characters did kind of look like who they were supposed to look like, and some of them didn't, I thought was um, another nice little twist, just in the style of the movie makers. This bit about uh, these players like playing in their house or playing like in the common areas, it, to me, was a little bit far fetched because it looked like. The way they told the story, that they were conveniently using pieces of furniture and places of the room, like as if they coincide with different props in the virtual world. But in the, I think in the real world, you'd run into too much stuff, or, or you would hit things. Like I'm, my arm would run into the TV or something um, if I was playing in the virtual world and didn't realize how it was affecting the real world. So, yeah, I, I can see where they were going with it, but uh, to me, it was like I, I thought there would be more people that played in this played this virtual game in like a little booth to where nothing else affected them other than uh what was going on in in the virtual world but the guys were th like that lady that had that she stood up on her couch because in the game she had to stand up on something i was like man normally you probably miss your footing and you just fall all over yourself so <laughs> it's something i noticed when i was watching it uh yeah i'll actually have to agree here that's a pretty hilarious take uh, that alan brings up here because yeah a bit later on in the movie they the main antagonist has like this army of people working for him and then like they're on kind of like what he described like all in these little pods or something I, if i remember correctly maybe it's been a while since i watched the movie like there are these little treadmills that they're kind of running on so that they kind of have this limitless space to do stuff but um yeah in the beginning of the movie i guess you don't know enough about the movie that they kind of it, it might be too disconnected to just have everybody in empty rooms and then also just like visually um it yeah it, it makes sense though it makes i could see how like that be that that i think that's a bit of a bit more of a nitpick though for some reason this guy holiday that is like the creator of this whole world and um 
he's the guy that like everybody references the pretty much the whole movie he's he reminds me of like the character garth from wayne's world the guy that danny carvey plays so i don't know whenever i saw his character uh it was it was kind of like i couldn't ignore this reference of garth and so i'm i'm picturing garth from wayne's world playing this part of this guy holiday from this movie so that's another weird thing so in this scene where uh like holiday dies and then he lays out the um the setup for this this game of finding the three keys and stuff and unlocking like basically the world's fortunes in the palm of your hand that part to me was like it made me think of how like how limitless creativity could be like so for the movie going audience and for the movie creators um it seemed like in a very short span of time they were able to lock us into this premise that didn't even exist before we walked into the movie um you know it happens it had like it happens with the harry potter books and lord of the rings and the marvel universe and all these different things where um we get immersed in this universe and it's it's not something that um it's only through the use of imagination and creativity um was somebody or a few people able to connect a massive group of people with just this one um this one story or this one like setting of uh okay this is what's going on now this is what we're going to focus on pretty much nothing else before this matters but we're going to all focus on this and it's a way to get everybody to come together i think that um in the regular world like the world we live in now too many people are just following instructions thinking that this is the right thing to do or this is the thing i should be doing and not enough people don't spend enough time like um kind of reassessing what their options are and if this really is the right path for themselves and if if the path gets deterred then was it a failure was it a sign of weakness like who who knows we don't know um but yeah it's just something I, i thought of whenever i was watching this part of the movie where I was like, man, this is totally new. Like it to me, it was it's a spinoff of a few different ideas, but this thing with the keys and the the game and stuff, um, it was it was really original to me. And I was like, wow, I, I feel like um, it just as people, as human beings, as members of society, um, it's something that we could all do a little bit more of, be a little bit more creative, be a little bit more imaginative, and um, I think it would help us to answer questions that we didn't even know we were asking yet and it would help there there's something like that might be surprisingly fulfilling about it when um there's like this this uh what am i trying to say here the 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 way that we like kind of problem solve and the way that we work hard to uh, go after goals and dreams and stuff sometimes i feel like it's very linear and I feel like we are not able to see the trees among the forests or, you know, you know we don't stop and smell the roses sometimes. So, um, again, it was something that I admired about uh, this part of the movie, how, yes, it's not based on a true story. Yes, it is probably a little bit far-fetched, but hey, I mean, it, it is what it is. Like, there's going to be some takeaways from here that are pretty enjoyable. While it's not based on a true story, um, I wonder if Alan's going to make a connection between this movie and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So this uh, idea of IOI, like what is it, industry, corporate, online industry, whatever, this this company, IOI, where they have these, um, like uh, a lot of, um, almost like an assembly line of workers trying to play this game and uh, go after the goals that everybody else is trying to do, it seems to represent like how 
a corporations act and like this capitalist mindset of let's take this idea that's supposed to be fun and inventive and creative and let's turn it into a job <laughs> let's turn it into something where um we're just trying to squeeze the most money out of it and it's, it's funny that like all the all the buildings all the workers everything about iy seems to have this gray like this bland look like it's almost like man you, you, you don't want any part of it and um I thought it was um, a, a nice, subtle uh, message that the movie was sending to, um, that the movie was kind of just displaying, that like, okay, sometimes in order to get the most out of oneself, it requires going off the path a little bit and, and being original, and so it's something else I noticed. So this whole thing with the race is cool. I really, for some reason, I really like racing scenes or car chase scenes like as the breakout action sequence of a movie i like when they're in the first half of a movie um it, they, to me they really set the tone of like the the pace of the action and it kind of is like an edge of your seat type of thing usually whenever um it, it, to me like story-wise it's kind of a break in the story because it's, it's just a lot of action like explosions and loud noises and stuff but uh sometimes like in this case there's a lot of character development too and sometimes it's humorous and sometimes it's just like adrenaline rush and I think it's a, it's a nice fit. Um, in this case, too, it really showcases the um, how the, the the detail in kind of just creating car chase scenes. I mean, they're they're doing things in this world like jumping over these huge bridges, creating structures out of nothing. To and they, it's cool because like we as the movie audience are trying to follow along. But as the producers and the movie makers, they kind of don't have any limitations to uh, how fun they can make this thing, you know, because we're, we're not going to, we don't have any expectations anyway, so it's kind of like they're just playing with house money, which is really cool. Man, I'd forgotten that there's a whole bunch of Easter eggs in this car race scene too. We got King Kong, we got the T-Rex from like a Jurassic Park, we got even the old school Batman car, like the, uh, the Adam West Batman car is in there, Bigfoot. Uh, you know the big wheel monster truck Bigfoot's in there so man a lot a lot of really cool you, you could spend the entire time just looking for Easter eggs and it would it would not it would be uh, not be a wasted time Easter eggs the movie of course the DeLorean the one that uh, the main character is driving at some point like as he's flooring it during the race you almost think he's gonna go back in time or something <laughs> because he's in a DeLorean uh, but of course that it's kind of like uh, that doesn't happen when I watch a scene like this, it makes me wonder, like, if I was part of the movie-making industry, I wonder which part of the scene is the most fun to be a part of. Because, I mean, I don't even know much about CGI and, and action sequences and stuff, but I know at some part, like, they were probably real actors that had, like, motion capture sensors on them that were kind of acting it out. Um, in, this, in the storyboard room, there were, like, probably these illustrators that were creating all the different elements of not just um like the obstacles but even just like the background buildings and just the lighting and everything and uh i think as a uh i feel like i'd, I'd be interested in certain parts of how this scene was put together i mean of course along with the rest of the movie but um just the scene alone seems to take a lot of work and it just makes me wonder like if i were if i were like a guy in the mail room or something just kind of seeing bits and pieces of all these different uh pieces of production i wonder which one i would connect with most um yeah it's just something i was curious about one part i never really understood throughout the whole movie was how the whole 
coin system works and the level of currency and, and how it really applies to the real world. Like, what happens when you die in virtual reality? Don't you just take off your mask and start again? So I, I never really understood that part of it. Um, but it seems to matter because, you know, like the emotions and the anger of these characters, they really um, get pretty intense sometimes. Um, but yeah, that part of it, uh, I guess there was too much to pay attention to, and I, I got kind of lost in there. And so, um, but I mean, it didn't matter because I was too focused on all the other stuff that was cool too. To me, there was a missed opportunity in building the relationship between um, the main character and the living, the love interest. Um, that it seemed like it, it, it they got way too close way too fast and maybe it was intentional because you kind of don't know if she's really a bad guy or something um but yeah there was a um because I, I feel like i got i get used to seeing like these other types of movies where um there's a lot more substance to the building of that boy girl relationship and in this case it is the it I feel like there could have been a montage or some more dialogue or something, something to where um, it explained kind of like why they meant so much to each other. And I don't know, it's just my opinion. Maybe for some people they felt like it was perfect and maybe there's parts of the buildup that I missed. But um, yeah, it was just something that I was, I I guess I was expecting a little bit more of it and um, I I didn't get it. Yeah, so I had my thoughts on this one. I think... uh... They had to make a strategic decision here between whether they were going to really pursue that love story angle or they're really going to focus on the Easter eggs and the action and, uh, you know, moving the plot forward. And, yeah, I think um, this one really tells to the audience they were aiming for, which I think are the, like, nostalgic nerds uh, who may not be too into the the love story or or that kind of character development um probably like the same way in comic book movies i don't know how much um love story there is there's definitely like relationship building between the characters but it's really more for like the displays of heroism and this seems to fall more in line with that so i agree that uh this is a missed opportunity but i think intentionally missed because uh they wanted to cater to the fanboys I, I do like every time um, the main character shows off how well he knows uh, Holiday. I think that's like a pretty cool. Th- it's kind of like being a fanatic of somebody, you know. Like at certain certain times, I feel like I knew a lot about Tiger Woods, or I maybe I knew a lot about Kobe Bryant. Or I think people have these people, these these like little these um, celebrities that they might be fans of, and sometimes they feel like I'm the number one fan, you know, and. So whenever he was flexing his information muscles over this guy Holiday, uh, I thought it was something that I enjoyed. This whole relationship um, with Aunt Alice and the deadbeat loser boyfriends, I thought was very appropriate. So I guess to me, wherever when they missed the boat on the building of the boy-girl relationship, his main love interest, um, they they really hit hit the nail on the head with this thing with Aunt Alice because they gave her just enough to make her important in his life. But not so much to where um, when you lose her during the explosion of the uh, the stacks, um, it's just another piece of the story. You know, it didn't like destroy him. It wasn't it wasn't like disastrous because it was just just a part of his life. His his real life is his friends in the virtual world and um, his own character development. But yeah, I I, I thought that um, the amount of significance they gave Aunt Alice 
and the boyfriend and just any and all the characters in that the stacks and stuff um i thought they did really well so bravo so whenever he goes into this building holiday journals and he and he sees like certain reenactments of the life of holiday like back when he was a kid and back when he had his business and stuff i thought that the the butler that guy that's like showing him around i in my mind the, he was a little bit too human i know he wasn't a human because he was like a, a robot looking guy but the fact that he spoke and talked with talked with personality and like that he had feelings and stuff um I thought it was, I don't know, like, I thought he would get, he was going to be a little bit more significant of a role, like, he was going to turn on him or something, or maybe he was going to be this huge integral part, but if he was going to be that insignificant, um, I kind of would have rather just had, like, a digital voice or something, so, again, maybe intentional, maybe not, but something I noticed. So the way uh, the main character gets his that first key of the three keys, I thought was awesome. Like you know, he went backwards through the racetrack, and then he you were able to see basically the same race that he had just failed, that everyone had just failed, but he's able to see it like through a little loophole, through like a little secret passage, which happens a lot in video games, right? Um, but yeah, it was one of my favorite ways that in in movies sometimes you see the same scene over again, but with a different perspective. And this one, I was like, wow, this is an awesome way to see this scene from a different perspective. Um, so it also reminded me, I made like a little Aladdin connection, like Aladdin with the genie, how, you know, genie gives him three wishes in this movie. He's trying to get three keys and each one, like in in this case or in the Aladdin case, let's start there. His first wish is to make him a prince, which is like, Oh, an awesome wish. But you knew that it was going to just lead to, um, uh, a a more roller coaster of a storyline. Or in this case, yes, he gets the first key, he's the first one to do it, and you're like, wow, that is great, but you knew that there was much more material to the movie, and uh, there was much more to come, so that was cool. It, was, it added to like the excitement of, if you weren't excited yet, um, I felt like you were now. Boy, Alan, I really am glad you like this race uh, concept, because that is totally Steven Spielberg, like, that's not in the book at all. That was a pretty cool scene where in the... Uh that IOI board meeting, like the, the, you know, the bad guy and the group of bad guys, he had this saying where he's like, oh, the shareholders won't be happy. And then he goes, well, our job is not to make them happy. Our job is to make them money. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty funny tagline. It seems like in, in most movies and I guess a lot of video games, there's a, an opportunity for the protagonist to reload on all his resources and stuff and in the scene where he goes digital shopping and gets like the little the holy grenade or whatever or like the semecus cube and i thought that was just to me it was just another it's like another um piece of the story that i i, I guess i i saw coming i don't know how zemeckis got his name into a like a significant reference in this thing but i guess spielberg or whoever is a big fan of robert zemeckis so whatever so this bit where the boss of IOI like gets into his own suit and good joins the game, uh, I I do like the idea of like this this rich guy lounge chair where he gets to play in like this first class environment, but it was weird because number one, why is that room so big? Like all he really needs is for the chair to be badass. He doesn't need a huge room because he's not gonna move anyway. And then also to have his password on a post-it, come on, like. <laughs> You don't, man, that I kind of, I lost it a little bit at that point because he's not going to have his password on a post-it. That's, that wouldn't happen. Alan can probably cover this better than I can, but um, he just made me think of two other movie references with like elaborate kind of password schemes. Uh, The first one is Ocean's Eleven, where Andy Garcia's character has um, like daily 
uh, a new passcode to something, I think like the safe or something. And then um, in the movie Focus, with which I just watched uh, with Will Smith and uh, Margot Robbie, like one of the marks that they're trying to get, like his password changes like every 15 seconds or something like that. So, and these movies take place in the present. So, yeah. Whoever the uh, the friend of the bad guy is, like that guy with a skeleton torso and he has that orb of Ozzywox thing, you, you never really see the human person of that guy, right? I think if, if, if you, because I was kind of looking for him at first, but then I guess I kind of missed it or I don't know, maybe they never showed him. But yeah, most of the characters in the virtual world, you get to see the human version of them in the real world. But in that guy, that skeleton torso guy, I don't think you ever saw him. So I don't know. Let me know if that's true or not. You got that guy from Mortal Kombat that the girls disguised as. That was a funny scene where she pulls him out of the, uh, you know, he's getting mobbed because he's a celebrity now. And then she pulls him out of that mob and looks like she's going to kill him with that little demon that jumps out of her stomach. But it's actually her. So that was a that was a pretty comical scene, and uh, another one where the setting seemed to be very um, well thought of, but it just went went by as just kind of like a a connect the dots type scene. So again, Spielberg and the gang, good job guys. So the the story arc of when the main character and the girl when they're trying to f- when they're trying to collect data to how to find out where the second key is, I to me that was one of my favorite. Like, if I was playing this game and there was three keys to collect, I feel like finding that second key would be my, be, would be my favorite part of the game. Um, I don't, so I don't, I don't know what it is about it. Just the fact that they were working together, the fact that you don't know if they were talking about Holiday's love interest or the main character's love interest. Um, but yeah, that, that second key to me was, it was one where it's like, okay, if you're really good at certain things on a gaming level, to finding like the first key and the third key, you that second key might really hang you up. But you kind of have to be the complete package and really understand who Holiday is in order to find that second key. Um, it also seems like if I were Holiday, you might be like, man, I don't think anyone's ever going to find the second key because some of the clues to find that second key, they were really hidden pretty deep. And unless you're the brainiac and the fanatic that Holiday is, or not Holiday, but the main character, then... Um, you, you know you're, you're probably not going to find it but i just thought it was cool that you no know, you get to see them you get to see them going around um trying to investigate where the second key is but also you got to see the relationship build up oh i never noticed that maybe so that this is maybe the relationship build up that i felt like i was looking for when they were looking for the first key it was just a delayed build up because it happens when they're looking for the second key so hmm, maybe the joke's on me so this whole scene where it's got Holiday and his best friend and the third guy who happens to who the third guy is actually becomes the like the boss of IOI. I think that was a reference to Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak when they created Apple. I feel like because I know when I, I read through um, the Steve Jobs book. I found out that there was actually a third founder of Apple, and I guess he like sold his shares like pretty early on, thinking that it was gonna become nothing, and he kind of had an exit strategy. And um, yeah, so when Apple was created, it wasn't just the two guys; it was it was actually a third guy who ended up kind of uh, leaving the party early. And that's that was kind of how I felt. Maybe that's where their the writers were were trying were making that connection in this case. Um, of course, that third guy from Apple didn't go rogue and you know try to destroy them. We were in, in this case. It seems like they, that one guy's trying to, 
But um, another thing I noticed was I didn't connect with these characters enough to be able to connect them in hindsight. So let me explain. So you have Holiday, you have his best buddy that's played by Simon Pegg, and then you have the third guy that is becomes the the boss at IOI. Those three characters, the only one I recognized whenever they did the flashback and it showed younger Holiday was Holiday. So the other guys, I couldn't really tell. I mean, they said their names kind of enough, and um, maybe I maybe other people made the connection better than I did, but. I almost felt like they should have they should have said their names more, or even had shirts that said their names or something. Um, the, the reason I connected Holiday was because of that freaking Garth face that <laughs> I couldn't get away from. But um, yeah, I was trying to focus on the story, but it was hard to because I was trying to remember who the characters were. So um, and at the same time, I'm trying to pay attention to what's going on with the main character and the girl, you know. But yeah, there was. There was a lot in that scene, um, and it seemed like maybe if you wanted the car, cra- car crash action sequences, car chases and stuff, maybe the scene was a little mundane, but to me, uh, there was a lot going on, and I was paying a lot of attention. Uh, not enough, apparently. The part where sh- uh, she asked him to go to the club, I thought was pretty cool. It was, an- it was a way of like hooking the audience. I felt like if this was a miniseries, like maybe a... Uh, five or ten episode miniseries, they would have ended the episode at that scene. It's like, tune in next week where, you know, she's going to take him to the club because at that point I was like, oh, okay, let's see where this goes. Is it really are the, Is it really them trying to solve the case together? Is it really them getting closer together? Is he really a bad guy trying to trick him? So it was one of those cliffhanger things right in the middle of a movie. Then, of course, there's the scene where his friend H is trying to talk him out of it. Cause, and I think in that maybe he was... H was representing the movie audience, or he was representing people like me in the movie audience. It's like, I don't know, man, be careful. Sometimes when you get close to the girl, it kind of screws up the whole plan. So, <laughs> I don't know. Like H's character, um, I think, was my favorite one, kind of in the whole movie, it, or one that I connect with, because, you know, he was he had a different perspective with, with females affecting um, what's going on. And also, I remembered when he was like, really scared of horror movies and that's kind of how i am so whenever they're showing that's part about the shining um i recognize certain things just based off of previews and whatever else i knew about the shining but then there's certain parts of it where i was like i have no idea if this is in the shining because i I don't want to watch it i i'm not i've never seen it and i don't plan on seeing it even for the purpose of this movie i kind of wanted to check certain parts out to see to fact check which ones were parts of the movie and which ones were just parts of uh this movie and but I was like, man, I'm, I'm not going to do that because it's a horror movie and I don't want to do that. So <laughs> I felt like uh, with H, I kind of saw where he was coming from with that in that one. The dance club, another dope scene where you have like a dance floor, and the, but you you have also keep people kind of floating around dancing together. Like just like the car, the car crash scene or not the car crash, but the car chase scene. Um, I thought the dance club scene was like, wow, whoever designed this setting, um, Great job, great job. I mean, the, the 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 movie was full of them, but specifically these ones seem to stand out above the rest. So I don't know who Buckaroo Banzai is, but apparently that was a suit that uh, he was wearing, and she seemed to recognize that it was a Buck Buckaroo Banzai reference. Cool. Another reason that they connect with each other. I guess that's cool. Um, some things I noticed here, though, like that whole Clark Clark Kent disguise. I feel like he probably didn't use it often enough because it made sense to do it in the holiday journal room 
it would also make sense to do it at this dance club place, but of course he couldn't wear it because that's when, they, otherwise they wouldn't have recognized him, like that skeleton torso guy and the cat lady that took his picture. Um, but then there was the thing where she tapped him on the shoulder, and so I guess if you're wearing like a, like a, a normal, to, to enter the Oasis, to, to enter the virtual reality universe in the, you know the Oasis, you need to have like at the minimum a set of VR goggles and some gloves. Uh, but then, of course, he, he got the first key, he got all this money, so he bought that X1 suit where he can feel everything, right? Like his middle crotch area and all his hips and stuff. Well, for him, for her to tap him on the shoulder, she, at that point, she didn't know that he had the X1 suit, so how did she know that that was going to work? Um, or maybe she was just being playful, and I'm thinking too much into it, which I happen to do sometimes. By the way, the virtual avatar of the girl in this dance club scene looked freaking hot. Like, the dress that she was wearing, or the body the way her body was moving it was awesome so i guess i missed the part where a uh, skeleton torso guy could hear what the main character and the girl were saying during the dance club scene i don't know how he heard it but i guess he was able to um yeah there was something i'm sure at some point they planted a bug on him or something but i guess i just missed that part this whole floating dance sequence thing I thought was really cool. Like, like, like you know, it was, it was story developing. It was kind of, it was seductive. It was kind of provo- provocative. And yeah, it, it was kind of risque for like a PG movie, which I think this was. Um, but, you know, very, it, it was it was fitting that it was part of the movie. And um, it led to, of course, what one of his first mistakes was saying his name in the virtual world. Um so in that case, I thought, man, as as a character, as kind of like this this guy that has this goal in mind and has all the skills and the tools to do it, uh, that someone like that wouldn't make that mistake. But then I realized, like, it happens in most movies, with a lot of action movies, where the guy is being a hero and saving the world and getting the bad guy, but he's also getting the girl too. And so um, I I don't think necessarily. Well, I don't, I don't know, like. Part of me thinks, yeah, his the wrong head was thinking. But then another part of me thinks the reason he made the mistake wasn't because his wrong head was thinking, but it was more his ego and his pride and his greed saying, you know what, I could have this too. I'm doing really well right now, and um, I can also have the girl. So, yeah. It, but of course, it was it was it was a very important part of the story arc because that's what leads to this next sequence of events, like where. They're they're trying to get him in the virtual world, but now they're able to go after him in the real world too. So, uh, yeah, it all worked out all right. So this gunfight, you know, I guess whenever he says he's in love with her, and then there's like a and he says her his real name, you know, and it turns into this gunfight. That was a firefight. That was um. There was a couple takeaways there. Number one, this protective dome that was protecting them from like hundreds of IOI soldiers. I don't know where that thing came from, but whatever. It was kind of like just the tool of convenience, like in any action sequence. They just happen to find the right tool for the right job at the right time. But also, there's a pretty good speech that she has that that goes unnoticed for the most part, where she's like, "Man, you're not in love with me. You're only in love with like the idea of me, and you're only." You, you only are in love with the things that I allow you to know about me. And I feel like that happens a lot, especially like in in the initial stages of any relationship. You're only showing the other person like a certain side of you and then they become attached to that thing. And if you are naive enough to think that that's all of them and that now you love all of them, then man, that's kind of, 
like I hate to spoil the ending for you on that one, but there's way much more to a person than originally uh, displayed. I really like the scene in the tunnel after the gunfight, and he uses that Zemeckis cube thing to like turn back the time sixty seconds. So now they're in this tunnel, they're in a safe spot. The, the soldiers hadn't attacked them yet, and he thinks they're like kind of in this together. And then she reminds him that like, dude, we're, we have maybe the same goal, but our reasons are vastly different. You know, like she. For him, it's just a game, and for her, it's real life. And uh, I thought it was a really cool twist in the character development of the girl, because up to this point, it does kind of seem like she's just a gamer and she's just really good at the game and stuff. But it really shows that there's much more to it to her than that, and that's why she's so good at it. So, um, yeah, I, I like that part about it. This character uh, finale, which is like the female assassin that's supposed to try to catch the main character in the real world. Um, I actually thought that it was, it was her character was going to do something very different. I thought she was going to become his love interest in the outside world who was competing for his real love interest in the virtual world. Almost like, um, like how the little mermaid, like in how the octopus disguises herself as another Ariel so that the, the prince falls in love with her instead of the other, the, the real little mermaid. I thought it was going to be something like that, but it turns out that, um, her hotness was just kind of, a, um, it was a disguise because, she was just supposed to be an assassin. It might as well have just been uh, Terry Crews playing that part. <laughs> to me, this is where the movie really takes off is when you have these parallel storylines where one's in the real world and one's in the virtual world. Um, you, you like So he, basically, this character is the connection to both worlds, right? Because he revealed his real name in the virtual world, and so now the two are connected, but different things are going on in both worlds. Um, I liked it a lot. I thought, again, another thing to pay, really pay attention to, it reminded me of, um, what's, it, what's a good one that it reminded me? Like in Inception, where they have this dream within a dream thing, so things are happening outside the dream, and then things are happening inside the dream, and then things are happening inside the other dream, and I love when they do like layered storylines, and they just kind of crisscross back and forth between them, especially when the characters in both storylines uh, are the same. Like, especially when you have um, the girl in both worlds, you have the bad guy in both worlds, you have the main character in both worlds. Uh, so it's something that uh, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in this now, man. I don't know if, like, it, I felt like, all right, like, this is going to lead to something really good because they're really, they're building up to a, a climax that apparently is going to be, like, amazing. And it was. But this part, this build-up part, I thought was, in some ways, even more amazing because... Um, it's it's like okay the the virtual world yes that stuff doesn't matter but okay now you're messing with the real world and that stuff does matter this thing with the hologram where he's a hologram inside the IOI I, I thought was it was appropriately brief because yeah it, it shows off another cool design thing in, in how the characters can connect but also it um it made it so where it's it, it's not the focal point of any one of the settings for any part of the story. Um, I like the idea of his emotional display disguise thing. I like the idea of the the people in the ear of the bad guy that were feeding him information about being a cool guy when he's really not a cool guy. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was a nice puzzle piece to this thing that you're trying to figure out. Um, but it was like... It was appropriately a small puzzle piece because, yes, it's significant, 
but it's not something to focus on. So yeah, when the stacks get blown up and uh, he gets captured, it's almost like, oh crap, like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen now? Which, it, it's, it's, it's cool, because like, <laughs> it's, it's actually very, it's like much more intense than I think a movie-goer realizes, like the movie audience realizes. Um, but then of course he wakes up, and the, the guy that captured him turns out to be a good guy, turned out to be a friend of the girl, the, the real girl in the real world, his love interest. Um, so then, yeah, you kind of, you're like, oh, good. Like, oh, I saw that coming. It's one of those things where you're like, you didn't, you don't admit that it surprised you because it shouldn't have surprised you, but like deep down, you know, it kind of did surprise you, you know? Um, that's kind of how I felt. I'm like, oh, I knew that was coming. Um, I mean, I should have, I should have known that was coming, but yeah, so he doesn't get captured by the bad guys. He gets captured by his friend who he now meets in the real world. And then there's this really cheesy thing that happens where, uh, she like, she thinks that he's going to be disappointed by her appearance because she has a birthmark on her face, but she's obviously hot. Like, she's... And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm not disappointed. Of course you're not. No one's disappointed in her. Like, that was a, a big, cheesy, like, crock of crap that <laughs> she's super hot. Would have been a completely different story if they cast Rebel Wilson in that role. And so, like, it, it, it reminded me of, like, in She's All That, that movie She's All That with Rachel Lake Cook, who coincidentally... The actress that plays this character's name is Amelia Cook, but um, yeah, in in the movie she's all that. Like they put a pair of glasses on her and they make her look kind of nerdy, and they're like, "Oh man, she's she would never be the prom queen or whatever." But of course she's hot. She's obviously hot. So in this in this case, um, I thought that it it was it almost was like a uh, like a funny moment. So I don't know if they did that on t- intentionally, but the parts where he was where she was making it sound like she was a low self-esteem type of reject, like, come on. I mean, you got your hair all did up and dolled up, and just because you got a birthmark on your face doesn't mean that you're not hot. Yeah, that was... Nice try, guys. You didn't fool me. So the scene uh, at the top of the building where the main character, Wade, is now, like, meeting the real... his real love interest, whose real name is Samantha in the movie, um... It's it's a brief scene and it's cool because like it's because they they're both kind of into each other right so I guess they know each other from the virtual world and like now that they are meeting in the real world they they do kind of like each other and what's cool about it is that it it turns the weakness you know the weakness of um what's the, what's the like the weakness of trying to mix business and pleasure it turns that into a strength because in this case the reason that they're able to figure out where the second key is is because they are starting to feel the emotions that Holiday felt when he had that girl in in the uh, when Holiday was alive. So it's cool that in in most cases, I feel like mixing business business and pleasure business. <laughs> in most cases, mixing business and pleasure is like not a good thing for business. But in this case, it's like oh, this is actually what's helping us win this game. So. Um, yeah, it was it was a nice little another little twist of the um, character development and of of the story. Like it almost seems like Holiday was saying, in order for you to be able to find the second key, um, I need you to have the human factor. I need you to care about other people. I need you to find an emotional connection with somebody else because if you're just this cold blooded, cold hearted snake, nice Paula Abdul reference. I see what you did there. Then you don't deserve the second key, and you don't deserve to win the game. So that's kind of what I took away from it. Next, of course, is that those scenes from that movie, The Shining, from, you know, like, 
from the uh they, they it's like they jump into the setting of the shining for some somehow but there's that scene which is pretty funny but also like a lot of action sequence a little bit gory in some ways like some zombie stuff and uh it's, it's pretty intense it's a pretty intense scene um so it's kind of one of those scenes also where you realize that there's this team of guys that are that are all all in this thing together right because you have um wade and you have samantha who are the they 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 play like kind of the main characters in this group of five and then you have h or the virtual world h who um is like their friend and he continues to be their friend and you have these two asian guys in the real world who are like this kind of sidekicks so i don't know if i liked it or not but i part of me thought that it was that one of those guys was going to be a we could be actually be a bad guy um, but it turns out they're all good, and um, they all kind of help each other out. So turned to turned into a pretty cool team. <laughs> whenever, whenever H is running away from uh, that zombie, and then he actually finally catches up with the rest of the group, and um, he ends up knocking him over. <laughs> I thought it would, that part was really funny. It was kind of like an action action comedy sequence at that point because you could see that they're trying to figure out the storyline, but they're trying to escape from the zombie. But he's this H is still kind of lost because he's never seen The Shining and he's scared of scary stuff, even though he's a big, big huge guy that you, like big tough guy in you know his virtual self. And um, <laughs> I think that it reminded me of one of those action comedy sequences in, in like some martial arts movies that I used to watch where yeah they're fighting for their lives but there's some funny stuff going on and it's it kind of makes it like uh it, <laughs> i really like those kind of scenes so the sequence where uh finale finds out where um samantha and wade are they are it's 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 cool it's it's appropriate it's it, it's necessary but to me it was highly predictable like yes they're gonna find him yes she's gonna try to save him it turns into kind of like neo and morpheus in the matrix like, oh man, they're gonna catch us. So you you need to be saved because you're the one that I'm gonna sacrifice myself. And uh, yeah, so it was it was necessary, but I, it was almost, to me it was almost like okay, let's just get this over with so we can continue on with the story. I don't know how H and the Asian guys find find out where Wade actually is. I mean, I'm sure eventually they have to. Maybe there's a deleted scene or something where. H and them are investigating also, trying to find Wade and Samantha, but in this case, it just cuts away to where he, they just, they happen to find him before the IOIs find him, and I was like, okay, well, I guess here we are. Now, I guess they're conveniently all together, just like movie making happens to be sometimes. That thing where a show is like an 11-year-old kid, I feel like it's supposed to reference something that I'm not aware of, so if anybody out there knows anything that I don't on this one, let me know. So the fact that the IOI are all are called the Sixers and like the first number in all their different employee IDs is number six and the one guy tells um, Samantha to lay all the charges every six feet. Is that some kind of like reference to Satan and the devil and stuff? I don't know. It was just kind of weird. Everything was six. There's this redhead like IOI engineer lady that kind of figures out that the game where the key, the third key is locked up is the adventure. And it looked like her character was underdeveloped a little bit because every once in a while they would show a scene where she's thinking about stuff and she kind of figures out what everybody else can't. And I feel like maybe there was more to her character. Maybe like the actress that played her was like, oh man, I thought my role was going to be way more important than this. But apparently I'm just like one of the extras for the most part. <laughs> this thing where um, 
the uh, the bad guy gets captured and they find they find out his password and like they he thinks he's in the real world. No, he thinks he's in the yeah he thinks he's in the real world, but he's actually in the virtual world. I thought it was awesome, like very clever. It was a nice little curveball in kind of toward the climax of the movie, but um, no, but it just it it was that that was cool. Also, it reminded me of um, what's that? Oh, with a virtuosity. This is an old old movie reference with Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe, where a similar kind of premise where there's a virtual world and. Uh, Russell Crowe, the bad guy, is like hiding uh, the girl or something, and the only way he can get the information out is the only way Denzel's character can get the information out is by making Russell Crowe's character think he's in the real world when actually he's in the virtual world. So, um, yeah, that was it was cool. I like that they added that. To me, it was another Easter egg that I don't even know if it was intentional or not, but I made that connection. Just because I think at this point in the movie, as a movie-going audience, you're you're looking for connections to be made because there's so many of them on the surface, and you can only imagine that there's probably more deeper than that. And that's just kind of the tone I, I was having as I was enjoying just the, everything else about the movie. So Samantha's escape from the loyalty center I thought was awesome. I actually really like prison escape, like prison break type scenes in movies. Um, what is it? You know, there was of course, not of course, but. Uh, Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. They had that movie uh, Escape Plan. They have Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell and Tango and Cash. I mean, there, there's plenty of them, right? You got Death Warrant with John Claude Van Damme. You got even uh, The Rock and Jason Statham in one of those Fast and the Furious movies. I really like these scenes where they're supposed to be imprisoned and captured and they're trying to escape. So um, I like that they added that element in this movie. Heck, even. In um, Three Ninjas, one of the movies I used to watch when I was a kid, and they're escaping on the boat. Um, it, it's, it kind of is like uh, you're escaping with them is how it feels. You know, they, they shoot it. The way they shoot it seems to be um, like over-the-shoulder cameras a lot, and you don't use a whole lot of... Um, yeah, I, I feel like it's... I feel like the good ones make it seem like you're also escaping the prison with them or the, the, wherever, the detention center. In this case, the loyalty center, they call it. So, um, yeah, I'm just like, here we go, man. Climax of the movie. Curtain's going up on this thing. I had an idea that the bad guy was going to figure out that he was in the virtual world. But um, to me, I thought the thing was that he was going to notice was the post-it. Because it seemed like so out of place to me. But um, apparently he notices the reflection of some of the VR, the virtual reality avatars in the reflection of his chair or something. And that becomes the reason. But, yeah, um... That post-it, man, it's, there's something about that post-it that really bothers me. And maybe it shouldn't too much, but dang it, it does. When, um, when, the, when the bad guy finds out he's in the virtual world and he actually go, returns to the real world and he takes the post-it with the password on it, I actually thought he was going to change the password and it was gonna, just going to be another challenge for the, for the good guy team to conquer, to get through. But um, this, this part of the action sequence is cool because it seems to be almost like... There's almost this illusion of predictability, but then they they're like, oh, we think like it's how's it, how do how am I say this? There's almost this like we know you think we're gonna go this way, so we're gonna make it look like we're going this way, and then at the very end we're gonna go the other way. Misdirection. Because that like they they would put out these little clues to where it seemed like the good guys can use this part of the clue to solve the problem of getting through the bad guys, but then they would solve it a totally different way. It, that's kind of how I felt like. Uh, I was going. I was getting through this action sequence. It made it to where it was very unpredictable action sequence to me, anyway. 
here's another thing I didn't see coming. I didn't know that that shield was going to be taken down that quickly. Like, basically, all the Samantha had to do was get to the get within ten feet of the orb or whatever, and then say that little thing, and then the shield's down. So that was another thing that I'm like, oh man, this is going to be this huge thing that um, becomes a huge problem, but it wasn't. I mean, there were other big problems toward the climax of the movie. But the shield didn't happen to be one of them. It just kind of became one of those things that came down appropriately whenever the good guys were ready. So, um, again, another thing that was... I wouldn't wouldn't say that I didn't like it, but I would just say that it was surprising to me. So while Samantha is reciting this, like, magical code to disable this force field, it, it really, because she's wearing that IOI helmet thing, it really accentuates her lips. Like, she has really pretty lips. Um, I don't know if that was the intent, but it's the thing that I noticed. (laughs) <laughs> I like the uh, the boombox reference. I think it was a reference to John Cusack's Say Anything. Uh, but of course, they weren't pay- playing Peter Gabriel. They were playing uh, D. Snyder. Chip had the music blasting. We're not gonna take it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love these references in this movie because like, I-, I went into it thinking that I wasn't a, a video game guy enough to-, to recognize all the references. But they're referencing so much different things that a person... I, I, get, I feel like a person of my background can like this movie and perhaps there's people of a lot of different backgrounds that connect with this movie for that different way because there's an abundance of references that they can connect with so this epic war scene of the um, all, all like the, the, the good guy army fighting the bad guy army is great because you it really meshes the two worlds together the virtual world and the real world right so you have in the virtual world you have this one setting where good guys are fighting bad guys but in the in the real world they're all in different places right not all but like the good guys are in a separate place than the bad guys so the the good guys you see them uh fighting in the streets and stuff they got their vr goggles on and they're fighting all in the streets but then the bad guys you see that all the their little pods that they're standing on all they all like they go from white to red whenever the virtual character dies and so um, I just like how they go back and forth between all those different scenes, and to me that that's where like the that's really like the art of movie making magic happens, where you can um, you we can create a scene that's complicated, but not so much to where it loses the movie audience. And I felt like I was right there on that roller coaster with them, and it was awesome. <laughs> the doll Chucky was a surprising reference, and they even dropped an f bomb in there. I'm like, wow, what, what the heck is going on here? Like, Chucky apparently gets the uh, it's so significant of a reference that it gets the f bomb drop, the one that's allowed in one of these type of movies. So, initially, this whole thing with Daito, uh, like refusing to engage in the virtual world war that battle in the virtual world i didn't really understand it at first and i still kind of don't but the fact that he woke up and decided to be gundam for his avatar i I was like oh awesome this is great so i don't know what he saw that nobody else seemed to see but um it was just kind of a cool thing that they did like the a cool thing that they did that that the character did it that way and that the movie did it that way where they just unleashed gundam as kind of like a more significant avatar than the rest so again another easter egg i recognize don't fully understand it but at this point it's all it's, it's all good so samantha her plan to take down the the bad guy whenever he's in that big old mega godzilla thing it, it to me it it shows how strong of a female protagonist she really is like 
in a lot of these types of movies or action sequences, everything's going great until the girl gets captured. And it's like, oh man, now we gotta we gotta lay down the uh, we got we gotta sacrifice all our success because we gotta get to save the girl. And in this case, it wasn't so much. Another one of those unpredictable things to me that didn't go the way I was expecting because she really shows her worth in escaping the the um, what's that thing called the uh, that little prison area. And she she um, she shows her worth in taking down the bad guy. She shows her worth in disarming the uh, the force field. And yeah, she does everything very well, including uh, getting out of the facility in time. Which I you know part of it was just by coincidence, which was a really intense scene also. But um, the whole time I thought that Samantha was going to be the love interest. That was the death of the heroic efforts. Um, no, she was very much a part of, like, she was an integral part of why the team succeeded, and, um, yeah, I don't know why, I guess, for me, maybe I had, I have too many doubts about female protagonists and how much they always lead to, um, messing up the plan, but, yeah, in this case, that, they didn't go that way with this storytelling at all. So the part where the good guy, not the good guy, but the bad guy dies in the virtual world, and then... In the real world, he realizes that Samantha is still in the IOI building. It was another layer of this already intense, epic, complicated battle, which, again, it was like my heart was racing when this thing was going on because it's like, man, there's so much to pay attention to, so much to keep track of, and it was going really great. Um, but yeah, the it was it turned into, like, I guess to me, the, anything that happened in the virtual world, I'm like, yeah, okay, yes, it matters. It probably should matter more to me, but I never connected with video games that much. But whenever something in the video game world, um, whenever it affects what happens in the real world, then that's when I start getting connected. And the fact that they connected uh, Samantha's character back into the IOI, but now as kind of like someone on the inside, like a, a good guy disguised as a bad guy, then and and now that the bad guys know that she's there uh i was like man this is man this is it, it's really good and I, like at this point i was thinking man no wonder these guys recommended this thing to me and i'm surprised there weren't more people that watched it and recommended it <laughs> freaking terminator 2 reference the uh whenever the avatar of the of that huge uh the iron man guy dies like when h is not h in the virtual world but she's that huge iron man monster guy when he falls in the lava and then gives a big thumbs up. Terminator 2, man. I love it. I love all those references. So this little mini-sequence where um, the bad guy's about to find the actual Samantha inside the iWeb building, but in the virtual world, um, the good guy kills her so that she can kind of get out of there and go unnoticed. That little bit, that little maybe three, four-minute sequence, I was <laughs> I was thinking it was going to become a lot more complicated, but I was actually relieved that it didn't. Um, of course, they built it up to where it looked like she barely escaped with uh, off the skin of her teeth. But um, when she did escape, I was like, "Oh, good," because I don't think I, I I feel like I was getting tired, like trying to keep track of all these different sequences. <laughs> and uh, it was time for the climax to end. I love this part though that in the virtual world, the um, the climax is not over because you got that guy playing the adventurer. Um, you know, it looks like he's getting close to the end, but he ends up dying. And then you have the main character who's like, well, the, the object is not to win. The object is to play. And then he actually gets the key. But then when he gets all three keys, then there's that other sequence where he has to unlock 
the, the, the three keyhole thing, but then instead of signing, he leaves the thing alone, like a la Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Attaboy, Alan. So there's all these virtual principles and, and like psychological tricks that there are still going on in the climax and toward the end of the climax of this movie that um, I thought was really cool. So the fact that the, they, they toned the climax down but kept it kind of sustainable, like a little climax aftershock, if you will, I thought was... I don't know. To me, it was very refreshing. Like, okay, I, I don't know if I can handle so much climax, but I still kind of want a little bit more of this thing to go because I've seen movies to where, like, the climax was so good and then the movie just ends, cut to credit. Like, what? Come on, man. Give me something else. So the fact that there were still a little more twists, still a little more um, little, like, um, surprises toward the end, like, after the main intense part of the climax, um, I thought was a really cool thing. This whole extra life business also, where, like, the bad guy kills everybody, including himself, in the virtual world, but then, like, basically everyone's gone except for um, the main good guy, I thought was, uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice way to just kind of, ra- like, gift wrap the, the ending of the, the story in the virtual world. Um, even though in the main world, right, the, like, the, the, the good guy, or the bad guy still going after the bad guy, and, oh, excuse me, what was I saying? The bad guy is still going after the good guy to the point where it looks like he's he's getting violent, right? Like he's it's like uh it's it's getting really he's getting really desperate to where he's gonna like he grabs a gun from one of the IOI employees and he's gonna go kill the good guy. So one thing I haven't mentioned yet is the the wittiness the wittiness and the humor of Holiday is kind of funny too, and even the wizard I guess that's supposed to be Holiday in the virtual world. Uh, there's that part where the wizard is like, well, are you going to grab the key or not? Or there's the part where Holiday, I mean, virtual Holiday still, but, like, there's that big red button that, like, basically kills all of the Oasis and every, all the, its history. And then he says, uh, try not to, try not to disable the... Yeah, there's that red button that he says, oh, don't try not to kill the Oasis on your first day. And I just thought that was, it's kind of funny that, like, even the, uh, these... From what I, I guess, from my stereotyping super geniuses in my experience, they also have this like dry sense of humor that is is uh is is surprisingly, um, is is surprisingly appealing, and uh, yeah, it's something I, I noticed about that character and his dialogue that uh, I hadn't mentioned yet. So at like the very end of the climax, not the very end, but yeah, the very not the very last scene of the movie, but the very end of the climax, it it turns into this really weird thing where like in the virtual world, it's very very calm, but in the actual world, it's really intense still because like the bad guy's still trying to go out and find this postal van and kill the good guys, but in the in the virtual world, he's won, and now he's getting to talk to the the holiday and he's about to get this golden egg thing. So there's this thing where like like dude. It's, it's like, man, your heart's beating super fast in the real world, but then your heart's beating super slow in the virtual world. And um, it's crazy. It's it's something that I felt like was kind of new. Like, usually things are very, like, consistently intense or consistently relaxing. And in this case, you have two parallel worlds, but your the intensity level is vastly different. And then I love it. At the very end of the last scene in the virtual world... <laughs> ColecoVision. <laughs> so I don't. I'm sure they didn't do that for me, but that was my first video game growing up. Me and my brother, we had ColecoVision. They didn't show an Atari joystick plus one red button. They showed ColecoVision, and um, I'm sure a lot of people that didn't have ColecoVision didn't see the reference. But there was a game controller that I noticed right away, and I'll never forget it. 
So to wrap up, when everyone's back in the real world now, like there's this really awkward thing where the back of the postal trucks opens opens up and shuts and opens up and shuts because of different people that are that want to see what's going on. So that's kind of like a an awkwardness, but like in the middle of that, there's like a really cool tasteful kissing scene where he finally kisses the girl in the real world and then he like leans her back and he's still all wired up to the virtual the virtual harness that they end up doing like this little diagonal lean and uh i thought it was cool it was like like i don't know if mtv still does the movie award for best kiss but in this case i feel like that would be a nominee because of this because he didn't just kiss a regular he he leaned her back and there's another thing that spielberg just happens to he takes like a regular scene and spielberg's it and makes it like awesome (laughs) and of course at the very end there's like these kind of arbitrary but necessary scenes they're almost like a technicality of just everybody kind of being lovey-dovey and yes i'm going to share this victory with all my teammates and um it just kind of wraps everything up to where it's like a good old happy ending for the good guys and you know that the bad guys aren't coming back type of thing um and then yeah and then at the at the very end there's another little kissing scene which is kind of surprising but i kind of liked it where it was like okay, we're we're gonna. They, there was a thing where it's like we we give we uh, shut down the oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that people can enjoy the real world, and the real world apparently is just him making out with his girlfriend. So, <laughs> in some ways, it's like all right, that's how the real world is. <laughs> but yeah, all in all, um, again, Spielberg is the only name I really recognize, so I give him all the credit because I don't really know anybody else. So I don't know how much of this is because of him, but. Um, he seems to do a really good job picking assignments and making them his own. Um, I'm sure there's a whole team of people that did a good job with this movie, but I really liked it a lot. I gave it a two big old thumbs up. Um, I, I, I could, I could watch it again. I'm sure just to catch all the other Easter eggs. I'm, I'm tempted to just start going down the YouTube black hole of finding out all the different, continued videos of all, of everything ready player one i can see why my brother bought the book um but yeah it was something that i really enjoyed and um if you haven't seen it then i hope you enjoy it too and if you like listening to this then i hope you enjoyed it as much as i like making it fun fact uh the same day that i bought this book my wife got crazy rich asians so that's fun